there's certain chores you can identify and you, I, even just asking therapists when you're connecting with them, are there any particular clients or, or types of clients or situations you really don't like? I'll give examples of what it's been for me in the past. I've seen, I've never worked with like young kids, but I've done teenagers as a part of my, my club work before. And when I was early in marketing, there were a lot of people I would market to that didn't see teenagers, but I did. Mm. And so they would get requests for people that were in high school. The, you know, I, I think of one person in particular that as far as therapeutic issues, we saw pretty similar demographics, but he didn't see anyone under 18. Yeah. But I did. But that didn't mean he didn't get requests from people. Hello, and welcome to the Scaling Therapy Practice. You're going to hear today some tips and tricks on how to work with other providers to help you fill your caseload, how to work with other providers and get those referrals that you're looking for. And the, the clip that we played at the beginning was a great example of one of the tips where you try to find a chore that you don't mind doing or you, can, you like doing that other people might not like doing. In my house, uh, we have chores and my wife doesn't necessarily like vacuuming and I don't mind it. And she finds time to do the laundry. And so we divide up those tasks. I do a lot of the dishes. She does, uh, she cleans some of the bathrooms and then I do the cat boxes. So, you know, we divide up chores. I don't mind doing those things. And that's one of the tips in this episode with finding referrals from other agencies is find something that you do that they might not like doing or that they uh, have too much of and they can definitely farm those things out to other people in the area. That's just one way to be a good neighbor and a good way to build a referral source and then you can do the same thing for them. Uh, that's one way to get some referrals, extra referrals and build up a network in your area. All right, on with the show. PsychMaven is proud to support the Scaling Therapy Practice Podcast. And if you are someone looking for ideas that are tailored to your own personal style on how to scale and grow your own impact and income as a mental health provider, we hope you might check out our free online assessment. If you go to stp.psychmaven.com, you can take our free personal inventory and find out what your builder type is as a helping professional. This assessment is quick and fun, and it comes with tons of customized resources with your results, so you can discover the best ways to scale that match your own personality. Find the assessment at stp.psychmaven.com. That is stp.psychmaven.com. Have fun with it. Hello, and thank you for joining us with the Scaling Therapy Practice. This is James Marlin with Dr. David Hall. Hello, David. Hi, James. This week, we're going to be discussing referral relationships with other therapists. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about our tool tech or tip of the week. I'm going to start my, my tool or my tech. No, it's a tip. My tip of the week is from the book Great by Choice by Jim Collins. It's a, a wonderful book that talks about do companies just get lucky? You know, is luck just a big part of why people are success? Did they actually time things right? And he goes over the things on how businesses remove luck from the equation. And one of those steps, uh, I think the chapter is called the 20 mile march, something like that. And it, it talks about how if you were going to, and he tells a story, if you were going to start from Southern California and walk to Maine, that the best way to do that is just to walk 20 miles a day, every day, rain or shine, whether it's hot or cold, whether it's a, you know, it's real easy and you think you could do 40 miles, um, that consistent effort, that consistent progress over time leads to uh, a better result. And, it, and then he goes through, he's data driven. So he talks about compute, uh, companies that do that rather than the person who starts out and the first day they're all excited and they go 40 miles. Then the next day it's California. So it's hot. So they, they like travel less. And then when it's snowy, they stay in their tent. 
and then then they try to make up for it and then they actually are really exhausted and that type of up and down uh rhythm is no good for achieving a goal he talks about just just being consistent being diligent and and being sustainable over time and i just really it really spoke to me at this time where i feel behind i just feel behind all the time like i have mm. to like work late hours and do other things to make up for it and it just really hit me that that's not the way to meet your goal you're going to exhaust yourself just be sustainable mm. so that is my tip of the week month related yeah I, it is, I almost I, went I, into it yeah but. it's the the you talk about feeling behind and something I struggle with a lot too, James, and something that in, in recent months, I've really been actively challenging myself of, you know, what, how do I live? Uh, I mean, this is sounds cliche, but how do I live more in the moment in the, sure. in the sense of not just having this idea of putting off uh, enjoyment and contentment to this future version of myself, but I'm going to grind it out right now until I get there. Uh, but my tip is take a lunch break because it, it, this has been a running joke in my office in the past week or so. One of my therapists, who he's a close friend of mine, he he and I became friends before he came to work for me. He's he's actually the only person in my practice that we were friends before became an employee. And that was an interesting thing to to navigate. And that could be maybe a future episode of this idea of like, you know, personal relationships with employees and managing that but the uh but we we navigated that well so far and but he's he really um he sees a lot of clients i think and uh he talks about like this idea of just scarfing down in between sessions heating mm. up some food real quick and in the 10 minutes in between sessions just kind of gorging i bet there's a lot of therapists out there that are relating to this. Getting indigestion and yep. just schedule. I mean, like it, it could feel like a lost hour. I feel like, but I, I could be seeing another client then and, mm. you know, what income am I losing and things like that. But it, it's exhausting to not right. have those breaks. So, and not, I don't mean just eat lunch in the sense of like to eat, but to give yourself just a break in the rhythm of a day. And it's worth mm. it. That's my tip. So take your lunch break. And it does, it does add to the end of the day. Like it does make your last couple hours of the day way more productive than if you didn't. Cause I notice like I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of not taking lunch breaks because I'm just going to grind it out or I'm going to finish this one last thing. And then I notice the, the last hour or two of the day, like I get half as much done as I did in the beginning of the day, because I've just, I've worked worked to the limit of you know six eight six seven hours your your brain is done if i would have taken an hour break or a 30 minute break or refueled with some food or water i would work i i know you you notice you are more sustainable and you're able to do more when you take care of yourself i guess it's like that self-care yeah. you know to self-care awesome so we're going to get into our topic, uh, referral relationships with other therapists or how to grow that. And my first question about that, uh, David, is why would somebody even want to make uh, referral relationships with other therapists? Aren't you all competitors and competing to find the, the clients? That's a mindset that a lot of people have. I think it's inaccurate, but it's a mindset. <laughs> um, so I started in practice in an interesting time economically in the United States. I was, um, I, I graduated from my master's degree program, which is when I started working as a therapist in 2006. And I, I, I was, I had other jobs I was doing. I wasn't very focused at that point. I, I worked in a group practice, but I also was doing some administration work for an organization. And so I, I was involved in a few different things. And then in 2008, I ended up moving from where I was, I was living in Atlanta, Georgia, which is where I finished grad school and ended up moving to Knoxville, Tennessee, which is where I'm from. I grew up here. My family is here and, and from here. And I, but I'd been away uh, for college and grad school. And this was me, quote, moving home. And I got married and uh, my wife and I, my wife's a therapist and we joined a group practice together. 
And 2008 was fine. It was a pretty thriving group practice. There was a lot strong referral base. And so at the beginning, I didn't really think a lot about the idea of drumming up my own. Well, you uh, did. You, the company did it for you, right? Yeah, there, there's quite a bit of that. It was an established uh, company that had established referral bases, mm-hmm. and the, it was their job. Like you didn't go home at night thinking, "Oh, where are my referrals coming from?" Yeah, it, it was generally their job. It, it was kind of this. It was encouraged for therapists to to develop their own referral relationships. But at the beginning, there was enough coming in that it was okay. But 2008 was the beginning of the financial crisis. The the housing crash was happening. Housing, yeah. And it, I started to really feel the effects, though, going to the next year, 2009. 2009 was a very lean year for me as a therapist. I Referrals for the practice as a whole really dried up because two things happened. One, the practice had just done a big growth where a lot more providers had been taken mm-hmm. on because the practice opened a new location. And so it was a lot more refer, a lot more providers were having to divide up the same amount of referrals coming in generally to the practice. This, this is an aside, but do you find that in your practice when you add new therapists that some of the current therapists are like, why are you doing this? Because yes. I still need people. It To a degree. But because I went through that experience personally, it affects how I hire. I hire much more slowly than, mm. and I typically... We typically don't hire if people are still trying to build, generally. I, I will you say, say that to your therapist, like, hey, we're going to. Yeah, take we care. say that. You say yeah. that. Okay. We, yeah, we make I, it an overt process. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I work with some people that grow really fast. And, and then, well, I worked with the assistants and the assistants would always get these calls like, why aren't you giving me this person? Why are you giving it to them when I, you know, I was here first, those types of back and forth. So. Uh, that that was, it, a, and having lived that, that was one of the things I, I, lessons I learned was I was didn't really want to lean, do that. Right. And then yeah. they were, they grew and hired. Now all of a sudden you're like, you know, how am I going to live? Well, it was a combination of, I was, um, people couldn't file in insurance with me at the time. I wasn't independently licensed sure, sure, and yeah. there were other people in the practice that could file for insurance. And so that moved them further up and it just. There was a lot fewer referrals coming in because of the financial crisis. There were a lot okay, more therapists yeah. that were having to be. And so it was very, very lean for me. It all built up. It was like this perfect storm of, yes. of trouble. Yeah. And so that's when I had to get focused on building my own referrals. So it goes into the thing of. And there were lots of different referral sources that I learned how to develop through that season. Um, I began reading books. There weren't a lot of books out at the time on practice building. Uh, one of the ones I got, though, was Casey Truffaut's uh, 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 Be a Wealthy Therapist. I think it's what it's called. It's either Be a Wealthy Therapist or Becoming a Wealthy Therapist. But uh, uh, that was one of the few. Her and Lynn Krasonsky, I think is her name, uh, were like one of the only two books uh, available at the time in the uh, late 2000 aughts on practice building. There are a lot more now. But, uh, and I really tried to, to apply some things, but one of the biggest referral sources I discovered was other therapists. Now I've gotten, I went a really roundabout way, James, to your question, which is, aren't other therapists your competition? I know that was facetious, but yeah. it, was, it was, yes, <laughs> but, but like, and so I'm going to answer that question now. Yes, but, and here's the big, but the. The average primary care, the average therapist that's full-time, and a lot of people wonder like what full-time practice looks like. And statistically, for uh, in private practice, if you're doing outpatient work, typically it's between like 20 to 25 to 30 hours a week. That's typically full-time practice. Most people I think are hitting between the 20 and 25 mm-hmm. and and that's quote full-time. Client hours, work. right? Client, client hours, yeah, client yeah. Hours. Not necessarily hours of the office, but that many client hours a week. Yeah. And let's say half of your clients you see weekly and then half are bi-weekly or some combination. So that means that a full caseload is going to be somewhere around between 40 and 45 active cases of, of varying degrees of frequency. That's what a full caseload is for a therapist. The average primary care physician in the United States has an active patient load of about 1,500 people. The active? I mean, 1500 
Yeah. And you think about that because, you know, how often does the average person see their doctor? And even if you're, you know, you're real on top of it, you do a physical every year, you, you go in, like, if, if you go in a few times a year, that's pretty frequent for a lot of people to see yeah, the primary true. care that's physician. True. And so you spread it out over the course of a year. It's 1500 is, uh, I mean, that's, I, I can't remember where I picked up that number initially, give or take. So you look at that, like the, I, here's why I bring up that number. The difference between full, like if, if 10 patients quit a primary care physician, they may not notice. Right. Right. For sure. I mean, if, they, they could quit three months before they even tell you they quit. <laughs> yes. It, they're not going to notice necessarily because it goes to, it goes, then it goes to, you know, from 1500 to 1490. Yeah. And new ones will come in and it's fine. But if you've got an active caseload of 40 and 10 people quit, that's a quarter of your caseload. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. But the same sort of way of growing it, the difference between empty and full for a therapist isn't that much and isn't that right. long. So the reason it's important to market, I think, to other therapists is because it's only competition if that therapist is still trying to get new clients or still has open spaces or still has. But as soon as that therapist is full, they need you. Right. Um. I don't like saying I can't help somebody when someone calls mm -hmm. me for to to become a client of mine and I don't have space to to accommodate them. I want options. For yeah. And so uh, an empty therapist may be competition, but the difference between empty and full is really small. Mhm. Mm um compared to other healthcare providers for for therapy and realizing that even if this therapist is needing more clients in this moment, there's going to be another time where they don't and where they're going to need overflow. They're going to need to be able to send people. And that's why therapists are good to, to market to. So how did you, how did you discover this? Like, how did you know it was a good idea to start working on your referral list? Well, I, I knew it was a good idea because I needed more clients. Uh, and that was, uh, and then I just tried what were the things that worked. And part of it for me initially was a big, it was a lot like throwing spaghetti against the wall. I didn't know what was going to stick. I just tried a lot of things. And there were things I tried in marketing and certain referral relationships I looked to focus on that weren't as fruitful. And what I discovered in trial and error was therapists were. So what, what were uh, some of the barriers then? You were, you were talking like you tried a bunch of things. Were there any barriers to creating this list? Um, I mean, for different referral partners, yes. And, and But that feels like a different episode. And, and talking specifically about for therapists, um, yeah, there were. Uh, for one, uh, therapists are horrible at responding to emails and phone calls, particularly <laughs> for non-clients, but even for clients. Yeah, uh, that's and so one of the things I had to learn was not to take it personal when people didn't get back to me. Mm -hmm. uh, that I just would stay on top. If there's somebody I wanted to connect with, I was just persistent. Mm -hmm. And in realizing that you know, you had to be that just because I emailed somebody didn't mean they were going to email me back. And people were busy and and I experience this now. I I've, there's a, a new treatment facility that's opened up in my community and there's the their head of referral development business development has been trying to get with me since before uh for a few months now and she had originally originally reached out to me and i got back to her and kind of plain phone tag and but they had emailed me in this last week like twice and i hadn't responded and i feel bad a little bit but i'm also very busy and they're not but part of it is they're not high on my list like i don't really need them there and and I I'm very sympathetic because they are I've been in that position before as having to drum up business for a new treatment uh, uh, facility and I know this is their job when when I so when I was run the virtual assistant company pretty successful I would get three four requests for my time a week or more just like like partner with this do this i got fatigued like it was it was uh it wasn't that i didn't value them or what they were doing or what they were trying to do i already had like six of these similar things in the fire already and i could not 
I could not get one more. Like I couldn't do one more. Like I just, I couldn't even read the email. I couldn't even I, think about it. I felt that. And for this case I'm talking about, like I responded to them and this was on Monday and they said, Hey, love to come in. And I'm like, I don't really need to meet them. I have their information online. I know like, I, I know what they're trying to do and that's okay. I know I'm, part of it is, is there's a certain amount of sympathy, but I gave them a date two weeks from when they requested. I like, I, I looked at my calendar. I'm like, Hey, if you want to come by this hour, but I didn't give them choices. I said, I've got this time on this day at my office and they, they agreed and great. But anyway, but I, I try to remember part of it is I try to remember myself when I needed to build those referral yeah. relationships. And so I want to be kind and responsive when I can be, but be persistent. That was a barrier. Um, and, and yeah, just realizing that uh, sometimes those therapists may be a little wary because they may be thinking, well, you're competition. Why would I want to connect with you? So, well, is, is the mindset, uh, I, I'm going to, I might get this wrong, but like the closed, like you grasp everything closed and like nothing can get in or like the, the open hand type of example, where if you live with that open hand mindset, it's, it's easier to develop those relationships. Is that sort of, it is. And, and just certain therapists, again, therapists are just hard personalities to crack. Sometimes people are busy. People, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for people to make time, but stay persistent in it. But the, um, and, and if they see you as competition, here's how I encourage people to, to have this conversation. So let's say you're reaching out to somebody. Uh, if it's an email, it's a phone call. Um, here's the general script I, mm -hmm. I offer to people, which is the key is not to make it about, I need something from you. Right. Make it about, I want to develop a relationship with you that I want to be beneficial for you and me, but start with how it's going to benefit them. So a typical way that I will coach people to say it is if it's me, I would say, Hey, uh, my name's David Hall. I'm a therapist in your area. I, it looks like we see, I found you online. It looks like that we see a pretty similar demographic of clients. And I'd love to take you out for coffee because I'm wanting to develop new referral relationships for when I need to send mm -hmm. people I can't accommodate out and to see how I might be a, a, a fit for you and help you in your practice. But I always start with how can I benefit them? Right. And I don't want to be disingenuous about it because it is true. Like if this does, if this person does see a similar client demographic to what I see, at some point I'll be full and I'll need to know about them. You're, you need to you need to help people when they get reached to you, even if you, they mm -hmm. can't see you, you need to yeah. be able to like give get them the next chain. You know, what's yeah. the next step now in the moment where I'm making that phone call, I may be have a completely empty schedule and I don't have these. I'm not going to be sending clients away, but it's mm -hmm. not disingenuous because that's just the reality of this moment. What other what other moments are going to look like could be different. I don't want to develop the relationship for that sake. Uh, so that's how I encourage people to start the conversation. Um, present yourself as a resource when you meet with them. Um, I have some if, other tips. What if they say no, or they ignore you? Like, when do you, when do you re-engage? Like, or when are good times to re-engage? Like maybe the beginning of a school year, the beginning of a year, like what are the, the times? Well, if, they, if they say no, um, Judge that no, what kind of no that is. If it's no uh, unkind, unfriendly sort of way, then you know, move on. But it could just be, well, I don't have time right now. Right. But it's like, well, is there a time in the future where it would be good for me to check back in? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, ask the follow-up, ask for kind of the opportunity. If they just ignore you, um, there's a, a therapist are busy and they're just generally not good at responding to stuff. Um. I like to follow something called Hanlon's razor for this. Okay. Hanlon's razor states never ascribe to malice. What can be adequately ascribed to ignorance or neglect. Mm -hmm. So in layman's terms, what that means is don't assume that they don't like you assume that they're just ignorant of the situation or they're just not attending to it. Like being ignored 
it, it's it's easy to assume when you're the person being ignored that they see your email and they're like, I don't want to help this person or I don't want to talk to this person. <laughs> don't assume that. Assume that it's just that they're just not on top of it. Uh, that's a, that sounds like the fundamental attribution error. Have you heard of that? Do yes, I, it, I, it's similar. It it plays into this, the. the I would I would always tell people like it, well, my example was if somebody cuts you off in traffic, that doesn't mean that they meant to cut you off in traffic and they they hate you and like they're the biggest jerk in the world. Like you you assume what they're thinking or doing, but maybe they're late for work or their kid's sick or they just yeah. didn't even see the ignorant thing. They didn't even see you, but then we assume that and we make no excuses for them. But yeah. then when we do the very same thing, we're like, oh, I was late or I had to make the light or I'm not a yeah. bad person. I did this. Um, what was yours called again? Hanlon's Razor. Hanlon's Razor. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, it's helpful. And it, it's helped me overcome certain barriers because there's certain um, key relationships I had in business and otherwise that they just didn't respond. And mm. it's because they're kind of scattered as individuals. And I just had to stay on it. And there's, there's one key relationship I have, which is funny. This was my friend, Bill O'Hanlon. Mm-hmm. And so I learned about the razor when I was failing to get a response for him. This was years ago. And he, had, cause he had told me to reach out to him about something and I was, and he wasn't getting back with me. And it's something I really wanted to do. And he wasn't responding. And then I came across Hanlon's razor in dealing with my frustration with O'Hanlon. And so I said to myself, I go, I'm going to reach out consistently until mm-hmm. he tells me to F off. Yeah, buzz off, man. But, or respond. Yeah. And I did. And it took me six months. But he <laughs> but finally it's responded. Worth it. It's a good relationship. Yeah, you know, like, it's a it's a hugely and 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 like and and the truth was the attribution that I chose to make was important because he wasn't me. Part of it was his life was a whirlwind at that point. It wasn't, and I wasn't, what I was trying to connect with wasn't a huge priority for him. And at that moment, and he would say that, like he would, because he was busy with other things. And when I finally was able to engage with him is when um, his life slowed down and he had the capacity to to engage with it. I, I remember reading uh, somewhere, it was probably a book on conflict where, um, when we don't know what's going on, we often assume the worst. Like it yeah. just filled like the gap, the knowledge gap is filled in with, you know, they don't the the bad stuff. They they don't care. They don't, they're mean people. They don't like. And if can you imagine in a relationship if you filled in all the the stuff you don't know about what they're thinking with the bad things, how yeah. your it's going to impact your behavior. So, uh, yeah, it's really important what you're talking about to fill in what you don't know with not not the the negative assumptions that you you don't even know if they're true. Yeah, I uh, so persistence is the first okay. thing. Um, making it, you know, be forward in how you can be a benefit to them. Be genuine in it. Be really thinking about like, is this and, and don't say that I'm going to refer to you if you can't ever imagine referring to this person. Right. But. So don't be dishonest, but think about like, if it's just like, gimme, you know, what can you do for me? That's not a very savory thing for people in engaging in a right. relationship. Uh, here's another tip. If you're going to meet with people, uh, do breakfast. Here's why. Why would you guess yeah, breakfast? Why James? breakfast? What would you guess, James? There are uh, two key reasons I'll, I'll, I'll give you. So see if you can get one. Oh, dear. Well. Most diners that I go to serve really good breakfast. <laughs> that's good. Re- if you have a good, if you, if breakfast is going to be a pleasant meal, that's a good one. So we, whenever I go out with people for like groups and things, it's always breakfast, but I haven't really figured out why. I, I think um, it, it's uh, it's a little casual. It's um, that's good. Those are, though you're doing extra reasons. Good breakfast. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm drawing, I'm drawing. Uh, I, mean, I get this from a book I read about marketing a long cheap? time ago. Uh, yes. Uh, that's one of it is. It's cheap. If you're oh, going really? to, okay. If you're going to, breakfast is usually the least expensive meal. Okay. And you want to pay. If you're going to develop well, a marketing relationship, sense. you want to pay for it. But breakfast is not going to be, it's going to be cheaper than lunch and dinner. Mm-hmm. In, in almost any place, even if you go to a place that has an expensive breakfast, if that place also serves lunch and dinner, it will be 
more expensive for those other meals. Yeah. But you're not necessarily going to have to deal with the awkwardness of someone ordering lobster for breakfast necessarily. It's typically where, where I am in the South, like it's a lot of, you know, Waffle House is a big spot or things like, but yeah. breakfast is, is pretty inexpensive. So particularly if you're, you know, trying to, you're not looking to spend a lot of money. Breakfast is a good reason. It's the most, least expensive meal and you want to pay. That's one reason. The other reason is, is you're the first thing they begin thinking about in that day. Okay. And so that gives them, if you've presented yourself as an opportunity for them as a referral relationship, they have the whole day in front of them to think about how you can play into that. And let, mm -hmm. let's say for some reason, like you were meeting them for like coffee after work and, and, and something else. They might start thinking about you, but their workday is already done. They're going to go and disengage from work thinking. They're going to go to sleep at some point. They're going to be, and then the day starts over and you may be lost in that shuffle. So it gives you the opportunity to be in somebody's mind at the big early in the day. And you can, when it's not full of other yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so sense. that would be, uh, uh, that's, a, that's one tip. Um, another tip, this is one. Uh, have a, if you're looking to connect with other people, other, other providers, identify what might you might have as a chore of choice. What's, what do you mean by that? Something that you don't mind doing that other people often do mind doing. It doesn't have to be something you love that much, but something you don't mind. So I, one of my jobs when I was younger, James was a buddy of mine and I, we had a janitorial service when I was like 18, 19. We used to clean offices and we would divide and conquer. And there were certain things like he didn't mind doing toilets or windows. And I really disliked both windows. I found really, but I didn't mind vacuuming. Yeah. And he was so bored with vacuuming. And so we would, we would always do one or the other. Mm -hmm. Like I would always do the vacuuming for the most part because I didn't mind vacuuming as much as he minded vacuuming. And he would do the windows because he didn't mind doing windows. That was his choice. So it wasn't that he loved windows necessarily, but he didn't mind it. So, yeah, so how does that help you in this, this relationship? There's certain chores you can identify. And you, I, even just asking therapists when you're connecting with them, are there any particular clients or, or types of clients or situations you really don't like? I'll give you examples of what it's been for me in the past. I've seen, I've never worked with like young kids, but I've done teenagers as a part of my, my, Client work before. And when I was early in marketing, there were a lot of people I would market to that didn't see teenagers, but I did. Mm. And so they would get requests for people that were in high school. The, you know, I, I think of one person in particular that, as far as therapeutic issues, we saw pretty similar demographics, but he didn't see anyone under 18. Yeah. But I did. But that didn't mean he didn't get requests from people. So do you looking... ask them for this? Do you say, yeah, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll will say you come right like, out and say, yeah, I like these are, yeah. How, do, how would you approach that? I mean, sometimes it would be, there's certain things that are more common as chores for therapists. Like another one for me is I developed a niche with narcissistic leaning men mm -hmm. uh, that I do pretty well therapeutically with them. And there are a lot of therapists that are very overt that like, I do not enjoy narcissistic leaning males. And mm -hmm. so that was, I was aware that that was a common chore for a lot of people. And it was one that I didn't mind. So when I was forward and talking about it, like, oh, I've got plenty of those that I can send you. Uh, okay. And, but you think about like, what is something that you like or like well enough that's rarer or even ask is you're meeting somebody who's like, is there anything you particularly don't like seeing? And they may list four or five things. And you may, for four of those things, you may not want to see them either, but there may be one thing. Right. And, and there's only, there's, there's, uh, some of the therapists I've worked with, they will take a few of those, but once they get to a certain level, yeah. even if they're not full, they're like, I cannot take one more of this type of person. They're draining me. What mm -hmm. can I do with them? Oh, David sees this person. Maybe I'll refer yeah. it to him. Yeah. And so it's not just, it's it, like you said, James, it could be, they're not even full, but it, they're, right. they're topped off on that. For me, of a chore, like I have a pretty low limit on uh, infidelity work with couples, mm -hmm. infidelity recovery. That's, that's something I find 
very taxing. I'll do some of it, but I have a pretty low limit. But I have therapist friends of mine that that is their bread and butter. That's what they do. Um, and so for you, it could be that you see an age range or you see couples um, and you're talking to a lot of individual therapists or you see certain types of individuals and you're talking to a lot of couples therapists or take mm -hmm. your pick. And so it's figuring out what is it something that you offer that solves a problem for them. But you always want to be approaching other therapists as a problem solver for them. And if you do that, there's a quid pro quo that kind of gets inferred in that, that if you're willing to help them, they're more willing to help you. And so I don't mean this in an insincere, manipulative sort of way, but it's really hard to develop meaningful referral relationships if you lead in with how can you help me yeah well people like to work with generous people like yes. it just it's just easier to work with people who are generous and add value and if you can figure out where can you be generous and how can you add value it's going to be easier to work with you than somebody who comes and says you know give me your referrals yeah so be persistent you know have be generous have a chore of choice here's my last bit and, okay. and building relationships with, with therapists. Um, be consistent. And um, in a recent episode that James and I recorded, uh, it, it may come out before or after this, James was talking about this idea of uh, the... Or was it the beginning of this episode? Where you talk uh, about the 20-mile march. It was actually this episode. Okay, this episode. I yeah. know things run together. They run together. So anyway, <laughs> earlier this episode, James was talking about the consistency... Referral relationships work like this. Here's often what can happen for successful referral relationships. Let's say James is another therapist in my community and I've been marketing to James and James like, and I noticed like some of it is in, in uh, when you initially establish a, a relationship with somebody, oftentimes referrals do not come right away. Whatever marketing you do is for three to six weeks in the future for the most part. It's really, it's rare to see uh, fruit of that endeavor immediately. Sometimes it happens, but it's not fair to expect it. Mm. It, it often takes time for that thing to gestate. Um, that you'll do something, you'll make a connection with somebody, you'll do an event, whatever it is, and you'll see the fruit of that later. But let's say I, I take James out for breakfast in one of these delicious diners and James, you know, appreciates that I'm willing to see teenagers because he doesn't like seeing teenagers or you know, narcissistic leaning individuals or whatever. And he sends me plenty of those. And I get pretty consistent referrals from James uh, for the next few months. And then it kind of trickles off. It's easy for me to then think of like, oh, James doesn't have any more people for me, or maybe James doesn't like me anymore. He's not. <laughs> and the truth is, it just becomes an out of sight, out of mind thing for people. Yeah. And oftentimes where people think that they need a market is I need to find a whole new set of people to connect with. And it's usually much more fruitful to go back and reconnect with people you've already connected with. And so I'll do something for me, historically, what it's been is I just, I, I choose to assume that they just haven't thought about me, that they probably still mm -hmm. have clients in their uh, world that they would think to refer to me. They just haven't thought of me in a while. And because I haven't seen them or I haven't been on their radar and, but it could be something as simple as like sending a text message. If, if James and I have that sort of connection relationship, be like, Hey James, I'm just thinking about you. I hope practice is going well for you. If there's anything that I can offer that would be helpful for you in this season, let me know. Just wanted to let you know. Um, I've had some recent, uh, I've had some clients that have recently wrapped up work and I've got some openings. Mm -hmm. If you have anybody that could be a good fit. Love to catch up with you sometime for us to do breakfast again soon. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Something that that's that's typically my sort of message. And James and I may get breakfast. He may be like, oh, I'd, I'd really like to go back out to breakfast or, you know, something like that. Or, but at the very least, I've put myself back on his mind. And he's more like, like oh, yeah, like I forgot, like David's an option. I do this constantly. Well, I'll, I'll remember therapists. And it's not mm -hmm. that I'm, like mm -hmm. I have any negative thoughts or feelings about them. It's just, there's a lot of things I carry around in my head. And I'll just not actively think about people. 
one of my therapists that I'm inconsistent referring to, she's a great provider in my community, but what it is is she and I used to go to church together and she and her husband uh, ended up going to a different, they're part of a different church community now. And I don't see her as frequently. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I don't think about her. Yep. And, but something came up on social media recently and I thought, I need to remember like in, but where she was on kind of the four, the the tip of my brain for mm-hmm. referrals for certain sorts of clients at a different season, there she's not as much anymore, but it's not because of any ill will or any lack of belief in her ability. It's just my life doesn't bring her up as much. Great. So as we, as we start winding down, what are some... If we haven't gone over this yet, what are some tips to get started? Like you're just starting, you're maybe you're like, yeah, that, that's a little good fearful. Um, what what do you, what do you what are some tips to get started? Um, here's here's what, what I recommend to people. So have a client in mind that you're trying to connect with. What what do you feel is your sort of client? Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people will be too broad, but you know, there's a whole there's a class I have, and there's a whole exercise I take people through of like thinking through who's your target client. But have have somebody identified and go online as that sort of client. So let's say your target client is women in their mid-20s dealing with anxiety about relationships and career. Let's say that's your that's your target. Mm-hmm. So as you know, pretend like you're one of those, you're an individual that fits in those demographics. And how would you go about finding a therapist? So, you know, typically for someone in that age range, uh, you know, they're going to they're going to find a therapist by going online and they're going to go. They're going to do a search like an Internet search on Google or they're going to be versus, yeah. you know, in different generations. Most of these generations have aged out. But when I first started teaching marketing of a certain age range, someone would go to a phone book. Uh, that's not what most people do anymore. But Probably there was a generation where that would be what they would do. <laughs> And so think about what's this demographic going to do and who comes up. And so most of the time, what's going to come up is online directories. And so psychology today being the biggest, but there are other ones like, like good therapy and Monarch and therapy den. And there, Mm -hmm. there are other like directories that come and search those directories for the sorts of therapists that see the sort of client you're thinking about and see who comes up and make a list of therapists in your community. Um, that's one way to start. Another way is just think of who you know. Like sometimes it, it's much easier to make a connection with somebody who's a warm contact. So think of people you went to grad school with. Think of people um, that even just starting with coworkers. If you're in a co-op or a group therapy practice or just how are you connecting with people you share office space with or in close proximity to? A couple episodes ago, I think we talked about um, uh, uh, re- uh affiliation like people in your area yeah. uh that you meet with groups and stuff like yeah who's like there? yeah who, who's in, yeah who's in your community that's leading uh where's the opportunity to meet new therapists and as you meet people yeah and you it's a positive relationship ask like who else i mean a common question would be you know i'll be like james i've really appreciated you know the referrals you've sent me um who else do you think i should connect with that I may not be thinking about that also sees people like this or you track know, who sends you referrals. It's good. If you can, it's good to a lot of EHRs like um, uh, therapy notes and simple practice will let you in a, in a client file uh, highlight where the client came from. And it, it can be extra work, but particularly if you're in that phase, does it collate the data and tell you like you got 10 referrals from, um, I don't know. And when in, I was honestly, working with James, the assistants, when I was working with the assistants, some some practices had a call log, and you could track who referred you, and if you, uh, if you accepted them or didn't accept them, because often, if they if they're sending people you can't accept, all you have to do is say, you know, thank you so much for the referrals. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for this type of client. You know, do you have anybody that fits that? range or if they're sending you a lot of people thank you cards breakfast you know the the smooth in the relationship goes a long way to like 
keep it going. Know. No, ab- absolutely. Yeah, Think going. about if you're getting a lot of work from people, send them a Starbucks card or find out what they like, find out what yeah. sorts of things they're into. And like, you know, it, it's like you said, James, generosity, people want to respond people to that. People want to work with those people. Yeah. And um, so to to answer your question, I've not actually managed that in any EHRs I've worked in, so I don't okay. know if it tabulates it. Historically, in the past for me, I did keep a spreadsheet. I would keep an okay. Excel spreadsheet where I would put in um, and I would create a pie chart at any yep. given point where like looking at my referral sources and I would, it was something I did once a quarter and I'm far less disciplined about that right now, but historically that's what something I did. And so there are different ways that you can come up to track it that I, I encourage you to track it because so when you're getting you started know. tracking it is probably a, a great idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. Other things, uh, any other startup tips? Just get, I mean, we'll, we'll probably do other episodes. I imagine James, where we'll talk about like other referral sources, but therapist is one of the ones that I think is most overlooked. People assume it's competition. So they right. really start there, but really there are people that are tuned into the, to the, an audience is looking for the exact same service that you offer. And any potential, and, and you want it for your own referral network in the future. Because you want to have the mindset that like one day I will be full and I'll need other people to send people to. And how do I have that? And, you know, and then it becomes in this idea in the future when they're full and I'm not then, but it becomes, but really look at as a reciprocal relationship. If it's just a, a parasitic relationship versus a symbiotic one, I would really discourage that attitude that comes across Mm -hmm. Um, it's really hard to really those, but if it's just, you're, I you're need working, something You're working here. with therapists who can read people. You're, yeah. you're gonna, they're going to find out like, and don't fake it. Don't have this yeah. idea. Like I need to come across as generous and mutually beneficial, but I just want from you. Yeah. Like really, really set the mindset of like, how do I make this reciprocal and mutually beneficial? Mm-hmm. Great. So, uh, if there's one thing you want somebody to take away from this episode, um, I I'll start, uh, my uh one of my favorite motivational speakers i guess is zig ziglar i've mm-hmm. listened to a bunch of his books and and one of his big phrases is if, if you help enough people get what they want you get what you want or I, he might say it a little bit differently than that but it's the 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 um you all make it to the top together like you're always mm-hmm. you're you help people they help you it's the the generosity thing and that's sort of how i live my my philosophy is, you know, I'm just trying to give people what I want. Like I want help. I'm going to give help and um, it comes back to you. So that that's my one thing. Be generous. What I would, uh, I would agree. Have a, one um, thing? Uh, have a chore of choice. Decide what you are okay doing. If you want to market other therapists, decide something you're, you're okay doing that you, that other people, or at least some other people don't. Let that be one of the angles. I don't know if I really like that as my one thing, but I'm going to leave it as that <laughs> because there are other things that are good. But uh, that's my one thing. So no, that's good. Well, yeah. it's it's a starting point. Like some people wouldn't even know how to approach the conversation. So this is like a very good that that one thing of like have one thing that you want to be able to offer. And that's that's where you start your generosity. Like you're offering to take this chore off from somebody. It's really good. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks for joining me. This is James with uh, Dr. David Hall. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Later, y'all. Thanks for watching or listening to the show. If you do want to see us and watch us, we have a YouTube channel and I'll put that in the show notes. Uh, This episode really highlighted that it's a community of people trying to help other people get the supports they need. Yes, it can feel like competition, but in the end, if you want to help the consumer and the client, when you get full, you're going to need a network of resources to refer people to. And the same thing goes for the other therapists in your area. They will need somebody to send people to. So it benefits everyone to connect with each other and distribute the work. Eventually, they're going to get full and then they will need you. When building a referral network, it's good to focus on what you can do to help other people. 
What chore can you take off their plate? What can you do for them that will be genuine and um, and build a trusting relationship with them? Don't go to them first and say, hey, I need your clients. See if you can take something off their plate or help them in some way. And then when, it, when they're full and it's time for them to refer people, you'll be top of mind. This was a great episode on building referral network. I hope those helped. If you found one of the tips particularly helpful, leave a comment in uh, Apple reviews, or you can email me james at coursecreationstudio.com. I want to thank David for being an awesome guest host and giving us some of his knowledge. Uh, If you like the show, please rate and review it. Share with your friends. It helps us reach a larger audience. Thanks again for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. The opinions expressed of the hosts and guests are for education and information purposes only. Um, It's also not intended for therapeutic advice or therapy, uh, therapy session. If you need an accountant or somebody to do your taxes or a therapist, we highly recommend you find somebody who specializes in those areas that you can um, talk with. Scaling Therapy Practice is part of the SciCraft Network. And now time for the disclaimer. The, the opinions expressed on the Scaling Therapy Practice is of their hosts and it is not intended for, oh, I'm getting a phone call. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the scaling therapy practice is not meant for uh, personal advice. It is the opinions and the opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the scaling therapy practice are meant for education and entertainment purposes only. Uh, We are not lawyers or um, tax people. Uh, What are those called? Accountants. Um, We are are, uh, a therapist and a... Thanks again for listening to the Scaling Therapy Practice. Uh, the host expressed by the guests and thank you f- thank you for listening to the scaling therapy practice the ho- the ex- thanks for listening to the scaling therapy practice the opinions expressed by the host and guests are of theirs alone and it's not intended for um, 